Yo, what's up? What's what's up? Greetings to my podcast flock, <laughs> my little sheep. <laughs> if you really think I believe I have like a superior position like this with you all, one that lords over my listenership, you certainly are a first time listener. So welcome, and you will see the light in oh probably the next minute. It's crazy. Some of you have told me, though, things like, I love this show. It helps me. I feel like, Joey, you and I struggle or think so similarly, man. Or, Joey, I feel like we've had such similar lives and it's so helpful. Thank you for being open. I've even heard, for the love of everything holy, people say, whether you like it or not, Joey, you are my pastor. And, Although there's a little bit of uneasiness for me in that last statement, here's why I like it. Yeah, you're probably surprised. Here's why I like it. Because I haven't set myself up as this untouchable Bible guru or this Michael Jordan of solving life's problems. I've made clear that I'm frail just like you go through dark times just like you. I need people just like you do. So for people to see me of all people as their pastor this guy well it shows me that not everyone is looking towards a human to be like this supplier of goods they're not looking for someone that they have this expectation to be a dispenser of perfect and errant knowledge one that shows everybody the example of a perfect life, even if they have to lie and be fake to do it. Oh, man, that's so refreshing. There's people out there who don't need that, don't want that, and in all likelihood don't believe that sort of thing is real anyway. So taking some steps back, do I, do I believe there's some unique God-given gifts I possess that make me equipped to maybe pastor on a larger scale, I, I think, maybe. I mean, just like God equips other people for other things. Do I believe God has a plan for my life and I'm at least in the ballpark with fulfilling it? I mean, I actually do. And by the way, if this isn't the case, don't tell me. Let me enjoy this, man. Don't take that for me. <laughs> I'll even go so far as to say I believe that I do have important things to say. I know I call myself the pastor with no answers. And here's the but here's the thing. I want these things that I say to be seen and received by default as horizontal from peer to peer, friend to friend, and maybe Sometimes God will use this pastor by taking something I've said or shared. And for you personally, he may make it vertical, like coming down from above, so to speak, from God. But that's not my aim or my objective. I don't have that sort of power. If if that sort of thing is going to be done, it can certainly be done through anyone i just want to speak from my heart share what i'm learning be as open as i can with who i am and how i struggle and if 
any of it lands profoundly, dare I say, in a spiritual way, well, all right then, hell yeah, fist bump, COVID-19 elbow bump. So welcome to you. Welcome to all. May God use all of us infinite dumbasses to encourage one another as we search. May we be used to keep hope alive for one another. May we bear with one another, love one another, even our enemies. I mean, you do remember Jesus said that, right? You do remember. Like, he really said that. It wasn't a punchline of a joke. He didn't laugh and say, just kidding. He really did say, love your enemies. (laughs) So we've got a few things going on today first. John Mark McMillan and Ellen Murrow and myself, we talk a little bit about cancel culture. And then Derek Miner, the great Derek Miner, love that guy, talks about the music industry and shares some good wisdom on loving and empathizing with hateful people humanizing them and and seeing where their aggressive words are stemming from and then we wrap up the show with shane claiborne and we talk a little bit about the terminology evangelical christian and why he doesn't ascribe to movements such as empty the pews and ex-evangelical and all of that stuff so hope you enjoy next week we will be talking to one of the leaders of westboro baptist it has already been done and recorded and my gosh okay enjoy this show for right now When I see how the, we'll call them the progressive mob and how they Is that me? Am I a progressive, am I, Joey, do you think I'm like. No, no, no. I mean, I might be. I'm just wondering what you think. Oh, I I don't see you in that. Just the fact that you can have a conversation like this and not cancel me. Oh. No, I I, I mean, honestly, I think you and I are, are way more on the same page, but. So, except now we know that you're totally okay with porn, and I am. That's not true. We both like boobs. (laughs) That's true. We do have a lot in common. (laughs) But it's like that the the mob, especially like on 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 Twitter, for example, if how they are operating is how they should be, like if 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 what they're doing is justified, then the only thing that can happen good for them would be for everyone who doesn't see how they see to die off and let's just cross our fingers that their kids have a different way of looking at thing because things because there is no conversation welcomed so you have this core group of people that have no patience for anyone that sees things differently and not only do they have no patience, but they will not engage without saying you guys are bigots and hateful people, which some of them are, but not all of them. And so it's like, how can you not see that how you've positioned yourself is not creating progress? 
at all. Yeah, but Joey, you could say the exact same for the super conservative people. And, you and, see the and, exact same thing about how they can't even have an argument because oh oh I totally agree. I, well, no, so, totally. I think I think the point is that like the progressives want to, and I would also consider myself somewhat progressive, but I think the progressives like assume that they are better people than the conservatives, you know. And so like I, I saw this argument the other day about people talking about how progressives cancel people, and a friend of mine was like, "Oh, well, the church has been doing this forever." I was like, so did you leave the church so that you could be just like them in another context, you know, or is like, or, or mm-hmm. is there a better way to do things, you know, or are we just like cool with being assholes on both sides and just, it's okay for me to be an asshole because I picked the right team, but you can't be an asshole because you're on the wrong team, you know. It just yeah. seems de- defeating to I me. I think, I think cancel culture has really good intentions. I mean. Let's take Karen videos, for example, okay? A lot of these women are caught on film, finally caught on film, probably for the most part, because they've been, you don't just start being a racist one day. Um, and then it goes viral. People figure out who they are. The companies that they work for are like, whoa, you're trash. They get fired. They don't get arrested. You know, they get their life ruined on the internet or whatever. But there is a sense of justice that people want to start seeing. It's like racism is not okay. Nobody's doing anything about it. And at least we can publicly shame these people. So I think there's uh, something to be said about cancel culture now that is like, there's justice in it. I think the intention can't, I'm not saying it's all, I'm, no, that's, I, I can't blanket. Yeah, yeah. It's not a blanket statement, it's but a, I think there's something really, vengeancy and exciting mm. about cancel culture yeah well no yeah. i think so and this is where things get really really difficult right because a lot of the mob justice like it's i mean like the george floyd situation like would there be any justice justice if it weren't for the mob right like if it weren't for the the public right. outcry right. like so like thank god for that changed everything yeah yes however do i want to live in a country where mob justice rules no right not right. at all like not in the slightest you know and so like yeah, that's what if, scares if the a lot government of was... no no exactly so that's the difficult part if if the government was treating people fairly if the government right. was doing their job there wouldn't be a need for it but right. you know at the same time it's super scary like do i want a gun <laughs> i mean i don't know this is where it gets really really hard right really really hard and this is what scares a lot of my more conservative friends, you know. It's like, yeah, the system is totally messed up, but is the mob a better system? And I would say from history, the answer is probably no. No. Yeah. You but know. they're desperate. I know. People well, are no. Desperate. I don't blame them for feeling that way, and I don't blame them for yeah. wanting to do what they do. I don't blame them at Honestly, all. I would probably I- do the same thing. However, does it work? Is it working and is it going to work better? And the answer is, I really, really don't know. And likely, um, it's probably not going to work better. As a system, no. But it is exciting. It is very exciting. (laughs) You know what's what's super interesting? Because I totally agree, Ellen, that... that, that the fundamental is the fundamentalism is on on both sides, and it got me thinking: why why do I talk more about the fundamentalism and the progressive side? And I, I 
I, I was thinking about it as you guys were talking, and it's, I really think it's because I have recognized the unhealthiness of the fundamental Christianity that I grew up in. I, I have separated myself from that, and so now I am seeing through what what we would call is more progressive. I, I sometimes don't like the word progressive because it sounds arrogant, like we, we are at a place that you're not. Right, but uh, we'll, we'll stick with it. And I'm, I'm finding that people who line up a lot like me are being fundamentalists. And so it's like now I'm, I'm on a different team and a lot of you guys are just like what I left. And I think that's what I that's that's why it's on the forefront so much. And that's why people are so refreshing who can stand up for that stuff, but also not be mean like well, really you have to mean remember that a lot of those feelings come from fear fear yeah. has such a huge huge part to play in all of this and john when you were talking about like it your conservative friends like it scares you like this mob mentality kind of thing and that's kind of what all like white older like old guard white conservatives feel is a lot of fear that's why, did you see that video of those two uh, white people coming out of their big mansion with guns at the Black Lives yeah. Matter protest? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, they're so afraid that these crazy progressives are going to like do what? I don't know. And if you talk to the people that were marching, they were like, we're just like trying to say, hey, we exist here. There was no, you know, it's just, there's so much fear mongering. And I really, really believe that if Christian, especially white, but if Christian conservatives could just focus on loving people well, all fear would dissipate. They wouldn't be afraid because they would see those people as individual people worth loving well, and they wouldn't be afraid of them. I, I just don't know what all, where all the fear, the fear is coming from social media uh, news outlets. I don't know what people are so afraid of. Progressives, uh, like if you're afraid of a mob coming, a mob coming to your house and hanging you because you don't think that pastors should be gay, then I I don't think that you have anything to worry about if you can focus on loving the very people that you're afraid of. Does that make sense? I think because I'm following you. I, I just don't think that they, the intention, okay, let me, just, when we're talking about pro-life stuff, which is kind of all we talk about when it's just me and you, um, my, everything changed when I started looking at abortion from a pro-choice perspective. Everything changed for me when I, when I started hearing stories of women who have been broken by abortion and who have had abortions. Once I started to to humanize these people, um, my worldview changed. Everything changed. And so I think it's easier, it's easy for conservatives to say all these progressives are not listening to us and, and they're scary and we can't even have a conversation with them. Um, it r Real love is dialogue. And if you're not even like if someone's not going to dialogue with you, then they're they're not ready. But somebody else is. And to, to put a whole blanket over the progressive uh, movement is, I think, 
the exact same thing that you're saying that they're doing to the conservatives. You know what I mean? Well, I don't think that it's that they think someone's going to come to their house and hang them, you know, because they don't agree with a certain issue. And this is not really coming from me as much as it's coming from several of my friends, which oddly enough, some of these people are people of color, you know, and I know like people of color have all different types of opinions about things. We don't just assume yeah. they all believe the Thank same way. Thank you for saying I that. I know. Well, like <laughs> a couple of like, because when I started posting some of the George Floyd stuff and some Black Lives Matter stuff on my page, I got a lot of pushback. I, that's a whole nother story altogether. I got destroyed by the right and the left. And mm-hmm. if I'm honest. Candace Owens. Well, I, honestly, you know what hurt the most was the more progressive people that ripped me to shreds when I started posting stuff. You know, I kind of expected it, you know, because you get a little bit of pushback from the, the all lives matter people. And, and I, was, I was like, I expect it, you know, that's coming. I didn't expect the C, uh, the onslaught from the people who I thought I was like leaning in their direction. I either didn't. Lean hey, what far were they enough. upset about? Well, either I didn't lean far enough in their direction or I'm like late to the game, you know, or I didn't like post the script. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I was like, hey, I'm <laughs> I'm repenting here. I'm literally repenting. Yeah. for how I felt, have not seen the pain of my brothers and sisters. And literally people are like, uh, weaponize those white tears and use your white privilege. Like, dry up those tears and go, you know, and be a person of action. I'm like, God, like, what what do I have to do to please everybody? You know, like, I'm being pretty vulnerable here, you know, and admitting that I've made mistakes and I could be a better person. All right, Derek, our listeners just heard John Mark McMillan talk about a a kind of a stressful few days for him, and it's basically a lot of his black friends. He has some people writing him, well, maybe I should say fans. I don't know how many of them are personal connections or not, but a lot of them saying things along the lines of quit trying to be a black savior with your tweets and your support. And so obviously he wants to hear that and embrace that and and process that. But then he also has black people saying, why aren't you speaking more? You, you know, are you, are you with us? And so it it was, it was like a real deal. Well, shoot, I don't know what I do. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like, if John Mark McMillan was here with us right now, <laughs> what would you what would you say to him? You know, I honestly feel like people just have to go with what their conscience allows. You know, because yeah. it's sort of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Really, across the first off, life is almost like a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Like, yeah, it's that's life is just that way. But I think in this where we're at now things have for a lot of people things have gotten so polarized that you're just crazy it's insane you're not gonna win so i think you just gotta choose what can you go to sleep and be all right with saying you know what i'm okay not winning that you know what i'm saying right i'm okay like like for me i'm like i'm okay with i'm okay with losing a bit of status to stand up for myself and for my friends, you know, and even if, even if that's from people that, you know, I may, that may even look like me, that may, 
Because I, I even have pushback from some black people. And that's the thing about it is not all black people, black people aren't a homogenous group. Right. It's, right. There's right. black, black conservatives. There's, there's black liberals. There's everything in between black Christians, right. black atheists. So yeah, I mean, there's, you guys gonna... aren't all the same. Are you serious? <laughs> right. So <laughs> I think you have to pick and choose what you're okay with. You know, with that, like when I speak, yeah. I speak for the people that I know need me to speak for them. And yeah. everyone that doesn't agree, that's okay. That's your opinion. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that's what I would tell Mark, John. John is just, look, man, you got to follow your conscience, follow your heart. You know? Yeah. And and I think it's I think it's this uh, oh, wow how this was gonna come out is gonna sound <laughs> pretty bad like we're the victims uh, white, <laughs> white male straight guys but I do think as a as a white straight male it, it is kind of like if if you have a teachable heart and you really do want to carry yourself in a supportive listening learning way you know add on top of that that you're kind of the target of 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 people saying negative things and and um you know just as far as us needing to recognize our privilege and all that which i totally get it 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 feels like on social media you kind of have to walk on your tippy toes but yeah i i think the only way around that is like you said just walk by your convictions facts but at the Follow same your time heart. And, and i would say at the same time too you know i was talking to one of my friends i have a really really good friend she's a she's a feminist feminist like feminist <laughs> feminist like and uh there was a situation that came up and i always consult her because i know we're probably not always going to land on the same side of the issue but she knows i love her and 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 i you know and she loves me and all that so and we were talking and then she said you have to realize many of these responses are out of trauma so I wow, think yeah, what's yeah. what's happening with a lot of the straight white men is they're getting, you know, they're getting some trauma responses from people. You see what I mean? And some, yeah. like some when you're angry and hurt, so, that's the problem with, I think, with movements. People assume that movements are these well-organized things that every time someone speaks, they're speaking with this major plan or agenda in mind. And there are right. some people that are speaking in that way, but by and large, most people are speaking out of hurt and trauma and they're trying to wrestle with what is in their face, in their mind and in their heart. So I think some of that, you got to also know when you're listening to somebody who's speaking with clear understanding and intent and, 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 and then also someone who's speaking out of trauma. Uh, and I right. think that's why the straight white male guys struggling because he's like, look, I, I, I don't know what to do. You know what I'm saying? Right. But some of that is just do what you know is right and, and and continue to be teachable. So when people tell you something, you know, listen to it, consider it, but then also know, you know, also look at the whole picture and see where well, most of your friends and fans, are they saying that? Is that where they stand? If they are, then maybe I might need to sit back. But if it's a small minority, then right. maybe I might might be cool. Maybe that was just a, somebody had a bad day that day, you know? Yeah, yeah, yep, for sure. Well, as far as listening to people, I, I texted you last week about your series of tweets that I just 
love because the wait, I don't even know is it gifs or gifs? I don't care, but I what, yeah, what is yeah. it? I think it's gifs. Gifs. Oh my yeah. gosh, the ones that you chose was hilarious. But so I want to kind of start at the end here. There is a person that read all of what we're about to talk about that you tweeted, and his response is uh let's see Mm-mm-mm-mm. nice speech and all but it is not about what we think about you or your music in the end you and the other artists have to stand before god just like the rest of us make sure your music is pleasing to god and represents his kingdom exclamation 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 if not then you played yourself in two hell my friend yeah i remember oh my gosh but what what the the stuff that you said through those tweets man that kind of kind of give us a snapshot of what it's like to be a christian artist and it's it's on it's unreal and how you articulated it i i just think needs to be shared on this show and what and what (laughs) uh what what kind of prompted you to to send these tweets yeah. Was there so, was there anything that happened? None of my business. No, nothing that happened in my personal life. Like I'm honestly, you know, it's funny because some people thought that I was tweeting out of rage or whatever. Right. I, I wasn't at all. I actually was sitting here with the same temperament that I have now. Just kind of like, okay, let me let me let me let me tell my opinion. But um, and then also that guy actually came back later and said, I, he he said the the view he was saying was just saying. What he was trying to say was, hey, it's just, your life is between you and God. As long as it's good right. with God, you good. He wasn't trying to condemn me in a sense, but it did feel a little condemning, um, if right. that's a word, right? Um, but the what I said, for those of you that don't know, was I went on this conversation about how, you know, people say, when a Christian rap artist says they want to go mainstream or they're tired of the Christian rap bubble, the automatic assumption is that guy just wants to live some kind of evil, lascivious lifestyle, or that they're greedy, it's not enough money, or that, you know, they've just, you know, they they didn't make it far enough. So, you know, they're they're frustrated. And I and I pose the question, well, what if it's not what if it's not that they're greedy? What if they're just tired of the trend? the fans treating them like trash, you know, right. because it, you really think about it. Like, so <laughs> and I compared, you know, the typical evangelical response to Donald Trump and to a Christian rapper. So Donald Trump can say he could go grab women's vaginas and he could, he can say the most racist, most insensitive things. Uh, and people will say, you know, Hey, even when his campaign, when he was talking about, you know, my favorite book is two Corinthians or three Corinthians or whatever. <laughs> it's like they made every caveat for his faith, right? They made every right. caveat for his faith. I mean, he even said I could go and shoot somebody in the middle of the street. Not to say that he intended to do that, but he was saying, I have people, so my people are so big fans of me, I could literally kill someone and they would still rock with me. Like he, he knew he had evangelicals gripped in that way but now right. fast forward or reverse you look at myself now this is the president of the united states that every caveat caveat is made the most powerful man in the world but a christian rapper if you if i was to post a video with some liquor 
Or if I was to say, damn, now I'm never buying your albums again. Never this, never that. You're you're, How dare you're evil. You, you let us you, down. Right. I knew you was I knew you wasn't in it the whole time. And that's the whole thing is, you know, it's like you or it's either that or you're compared to the artists in the mainstream and they're like, there's no there's not a lot of appreciation. So people are like, Yeah, you know, anytime some mainstream artist gets up says Jesus in the ad lib, now all of a sudden, you know, it's like the guys that have been here for 10, 15 years has been serving this community. They throw those guys away just to ride the coattail, to clout chase is really what it is. Like a lot of people are clout chasing Kanye right now. And it's sad, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, y'all, I'm just gonna keep it gangster. And what what prompted that is I, I follow this journalist and, and, you know, he doesn't know me, doesn't know my, you know, doesn't know what I do, but this journalist was talking about how Lecrae, he said Lecrae's fans do not deserve him. Cause every, they said every they said every time he posts anything that has anything about him doing being black, you see the most racist but now this guy's not a Christian. He's like, you see the most racist and vile things. So I was really thinking on that. I was like, you know what? Like, yeah, he's right. You know, like uh, like a lot of these people, like we spent so many years catering to to certain groups of people and those groups of people have done nothing but respond with vitriol so my thing was listen guys pretty soon you're gonna you're gonna look around and nobody's gonna want to help you nobody's gonna serve you nobody's gonna gonna want to give you their music nobody's gonna gonna nobody's gonna want to come to your events and all of that so if i were you start treating some of these guys with respect because i mean quite honestly barring myself some of my friends there's very few people that are making money that is worth them saying you know what i'm gonna suspend my feelings and get this check most people aren't making enough money to justify being treated like trash so it's a passion it's a love it's a care and then to get that thrown in your face it's every time at every at every angle to watch People make every excuse for Jerry Falwell, every excuse for uh, Donald Trump, every excuse for whoever. But then when it comes to the hip hop artists to treat them like trash. And then that's not to mention the behind the scenes artists getting underpaid for what they're worth and all that. That's not, that's don't even bring, let me bring that up. I just was like, yo, he's right, man. Like a lot of these people are pretty vile. They have pretty vile perspectives of us. And after a while, I think you're going to look up and people are going to be like, you know what? It's just not worth it. I'm just going to go do something else. Or screw yep. y'all. I'm not going to speak for you anymore. I'm speaking for somebody else, which that's what a lot of people have done, to be real. Yeah. Yeah. So you, when you were, I think, on, was it called Reach Records? Is that what uh-huh. it's called? Yeah. And so, so did you just decide you're going to do kind of your own thing? Did it have anything to do with what we're talking about? You know what? Yeah, I I didn't like the direction that my career was going, because when yeah. I before I signed with Reach, I was the kind of artist I am now, which was an edgy, um, unapologetically black, and unapologetically Christian. And when I signed to Reach, I get thrust in front of like all of these evangelical crowds, and I, it's funny because a, a girl heard me on a Relevant podcast and said man, we didn't know Derek Miner has such deep theological takes. 
So everybody knows he's a great rapper, but we didn't know that. And now my response was every rapper that was popular during the early 2000s and 2010s, we had to have deep theology. One, because we had to prove to white people that we weren't threatening. And then two, we had to prove that we actually had something to say. So most of my friends, like most of my rap friends could, could, far as like theology and debating scriptures, you're not going to be over any of our heads because we have constantly had to, I almost prepare sermons in our music. But for me, that never was my goal. My goal was never to be some sort of pastor rapper. Like, but that's what people were trying to make us because, and I realized that was so we wouldn't be threatening to white people or, or whatever. So like, the first album I did with Reach was kind of like the really like Christiany, and I just didn't like the type of crowds that were being drawn and right. all of that. And I just was like, nah, I'm gonna just be who I am. And Minerville kind of changed that, and I've been on that path since. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it, it really is a abusive behavior. Like it it just sure. it, it is. It's like, oh Derek Miner is so dear to us. Oh, I just love that song. Oh man, it's neat how he said Jesus. And if you put out an album that is a, a little I mean, and I'm just making an example, I'm not saying this was what you did, but you put out an album that's a little bit less Christian and you say Jesus a little bit less and maybe you're a little edgy and raw with something that you went through. It's just like how how dare he did he yeah. did that to us. Right. away from us i mean it's just it's, it's crazy and and i you know without tr- sounding too uh ridiculously spiritual i i see this as a just don't throw your pearls to them anymore exactly but, but <laughs> or else know, they're gonna turn around and trample you but you know what joy i realized this i started because I, I i sit and contemplate these things a lot like why i always like to ask the answer the question why and i started thinking i started saying you know what these people are abusive because many of them are being abused in the sense of how many pastors do you know that if they don't like something, they get on the, they get in a pulpit and they take some scripture to address something that really is mostly preference more than actual truth, you know? So you get these pastors that, you know, that they have these really aggressive uh, stances on their liberties and they're like, yo, slamming their, you know, congregation. And I'm going to tell it like it is. If you're drinking, you're going to hell. And, la, da, 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 da. and it's just training people to have this abusive, manipulative perspective. Because that's what it is. It's me saying, you're not doing what I like and I want you to stop. So therefore, rather than say, hey, you're not, you're doing something I don't like. I'm going to say you're doing something that God's going to send you to hell on. And I'm going to pick the worst thing I could think of about you. And I'm going to twist that until I can get you in line. And it's like, right. that's what people are doing because they've seen that modeled out in many of their congregations. A lot of yeah. these pastors do the same thing to their congregations. So I started, I started yeah. feeling less upset or like less like, like, oh man, these guys, and they're feeling kind of sad for them. Like, dang, man, you've never felt the liberty of knowing that you're actually secure in Christ. Like you're actually secure. Like he's not going to throw you away. You know, you've never felt that. So therefore you're projecting that on me, you know? Right. Right. Man, that, that rationale right there 
is what we need more of is is uh, like you basically humanize those people yeah. like they're not just these people that point the finger and, and abuse those guys. They're human beings that have had things done to them. It's what they learned. And I'm telling you, until more and more people start seeing people in that way, I, I mean, it, it's not looking good, man. I mean, well, because we, people aren't willing to do it. <laughs> people are not willing to do it. We looking bad, bro. We, it's, looking, right. it's looking really, we, we down by 50 in the second half right, right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, and and we we can edit this if you don't want to talk about this, but I did want to tell you as as far as uh, something you were just talking about reminded me. I did do that interview with Westboro. And I think it's going to come out next week, and I was uh, ba- it, it was nuts, man. And I was, <laughs> I'll just give you one highlight reel. I mean, I was basically <laughs> insinuated as a messenger of Satan. I mean, I exactly. I was basically I mean it's crazy, but. <laughs> But you, you were, you were my first choice in uh, engaging with with the guy that represented them, and I, I really appreciated how you took care of yourself. And I don't know if that's something that you're willing to share as, as far as because at first you're just like totally I'm game, and you were like, what the heck are you thinking? But yeah, yeah. I'll do it. And then your yeah. second thoughts. Yeah, well, you're my friend, bro. Like, and and that sounded like a really. That sounded like that was gonna be a crazy pod. So I'm like, if I was to do this with anybody, it would be Joe. Like, just yeah. no question. Yeah. And and then as the time got closer, I started thinking to myself, like, how much, like, how many lies and how much mental abuse could you take? Because they clearly are a part of something abusive. And it's like, and I, and that's the one thing about even with Satan. Like Satan can lie to you, but that doesn't mean that you won't believe. You can know it's a lie, but that doesn't mean it won't affect you. So I'm thinking like, man, and then I'm also thinking about my composure. So I'm like, if this person was to say something that was just wild out of pocket, am I in the mental place to deal with them in a way in a way that would bring honor to God and honor to your show? And I was like, nah, you know what? I don't have it. Right. <laughs> I don't right. got it. Right. I don't got it, bro. I, I don't. I'd want right. to. I might want to slap somebody through the phone and, and <laughs> or through the Zoom, man. Which would I help am. my ratings, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But it's. It no, I respect like, that, man. Yeah. <laughs> I respect sure. that. All right. Well, Derek, thanks for uh, stopping in, and uh, we'll talk to you again here real soon. Thanks, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Shane, thanks for coming back on Past With No Answers. I got a few questions, and I'm, I'm, I'm very excited that you have agreed to, to try to straighten me out here. No, but I, I actually am – you are an enig- – I, I have a, a hard time saying this word e- – enigma. There we go. I got it out. Good job, Joey. <clears throat> there seems to be a lot of radical – people out there that would also consider themselves ex-evangelicals and I know I know you're not into all the labels and I'm not either but sometimes it's just the easiest way to to portray to people what what the what the hell we're talking about here so when I think of when I think of of you and your voice and all of that it 
if if I wouldn't have dug a little deeper, I would just think, oh yeah, Shane kind of you know he he rolls with, uh, you know he would fall into the category of, of exvangelical. And I was reading something, and I don't I don't know if this is what you said, and I should have taken note of it, but basically tied to you the the phrase was progressive version of evangelical Christianity. And I've been thinking about myself a lot, and here I am pastoring at an evangelical church, and everything that what what people think of an of evangelicalism, I, I'm just I'm not. But it seems like you, and it's very admirable. It it almost feels like you are standing standing ground with evangelicalism and basically saying we can do a billion times better. Hmm. Well, I, I, uh, these terms probably don't mean a thing to you, do they? <laughs> I'm, I'm not a huge fan of labels, uh, but I, I think some things are worth fight struggling for, you know, to redeem. Um, the word evangelical to me is not one of those that I feel really strongly yeah. about. Um, because I think labels have, uh, shelf lives you know fundamentalist used to be a label that worked for a lot of people then evangelicalism was here's the deal is that i I do think the the evangel is very important that's the word for gospel that's the core of even so i'm not i'm not ready to let go of the good news (laughs) of jesus um but the fact is that a lot of evangelicalism doesn't look like the good news Uh, in fact, it doesn't sounds like bad news most of the time, and it doesn't uh, really represent Jesus very well to a lot of people because what's um, a lot of the things that have come to characterize the modern version, contemporary version of evangelicalism, the old version. There's all kinds of like history that's beautiful being uh, on the side of of abolition of slavery and so many other things. I was a contributor to a book called Still Evangelical. Uh, that folks that are really interested in this might want to dig into because there's a whole bunch of different perspectives yeah. in that book. But here's the thing is that the, the many of the things that have come to characterize evangelicalism, um, they don't look a lot like Jesus. People hear the word evangelical and they think anti-gay, yeah. anti-women, yeah. anti-environment, pro-guns, right. pro-Republican, you know, uh, Republican, sometimes racist, you know, like there's all kinds of things that people come. So I, that's got a lot of baggage to it. And it's actually my love for Jesus that has put me at odds with those things that evangelicalism has become known for. Now, what, why I wouldn't be comfortable with the ex-evangelical label either is because I think it gives too much power to the monopolizing of uh, the, the kind of colonizing of evangelicalism by a distorted narrative yeah. of Trump evangelicalism that has kind of um, hijacked that label, right? Um, so here, here's a, just an interesting piece of this. So like in the last election, 81% of white evangelicals voted with right. Trump and still defend right. him, you know? Um, and we, you know, we talked about this in your other show. It's my, it's my love for Jesus that causes my concern about yeah. Trump, right? Um, but, but why this is interesting is that so uh, that over a third of evangelicals are not white. 35% are people of color. And over 70% of them, of evangelicals of color, 
uh, did not vote for Trump. So there's kind of a, like some interesting yeah. racial dynamics yeah. in this. And so there's a whole movement of, you know, the black church, uh, the historic black church, but evangelicals that, you know, they uh, in Hispanic, you know, charismatics, there's like Asian, you know, there's so many different uh, things happening in Christendom right. in the United States that I'm not willing to let white evangelicalism be the defining group for that, you know? So, um, you know, the traditional ways of thinking of evangelicalism haven't been about a political identity as much as a theological one, right? A high view of scripture, right. personal relationship with Jesus, you know, those things that have defined evangelicalism. And it's only in the last 30 or 40 years that those have been kind of um, uh, so uh, married to, you know, the the kind of right-wing theology and or, or politics, yeah. you know, so that's, that's my concern. Yeah. Like, if people are singing a bad song, then don't just let them sing alone, right. like sing a better right. song, you know? So I would love to see us like sing a better version of Christianity that's known for love and justice than just to allow um, older white folks to hijack the label from yeah. us. Yeah. And, you know, and, and maybe you have talked about this and, and I just haven't seen it. But one thing I'm super curious about you is one common thread for the most part with ex-evangelicals is, is also a rethinking of traditional theology and and the the sorts of beliefs that they that they had and we're talking major things not you know minor things do you agree or disagree with doing this how has your faith changed like do you see the afterlife differently more mysterious or you know do you do you believe in a traditional view of eternal con yeah that's the phrase eternal conscious torment do you do you read the Bible similarly to how, obviously, our, how we read the Bible changes over time, but would you say that you read the Bible similar to what evangelicals would would encourage you to read? Like, does that make sense? Like, have you changed any in that regard? Sure. You used to be a big-time Quail and Bush supporter, so I'm thinking that maybe you've changed in your theology, too, <laughs> politically and theologically. Uh <laughs> I think it's my, you know, it is my love for Jesus and my love for my neighbors that's kind of changed my yeah. politics. But, but, um, just a couple of more thoughts on that because I mean, we might need a whole other show for that, man. <laughs> this is big, but you're opening up a good can of worms. But I, I, I think that, um, one of these is, is when we just leave the church, uh, especially people that are recovering evangelicals or people that have been, you know, have a lot of baggage with white evangelicalism, Trump evangelicalism, and they leave the church altogether. I think it gives a lot of power to that narrative um, because there's so many other beautiful things in the landscape of Christianity. So I think I would invite folks that are leaving Trump evangelicalism to visit some liberation black churches, to visit some charismatic Latino churches. And there's funk everywhere. So it's not like there's a perfect place. But I think what we can see is that there's healthier versions, yeah, right, yeah. of this. And and for some people, leaving Trump evangelicalism is the beginning of an authentic, real faith and followership, discipleship of Jesus. It's not the end of it, but the beginning. So I'm a, I'm a lover of the church. And um, that's why I, I do think like the ex-Christian, empty the pews, ex-evangelical is, is, is problematic because you know, even Augustine said the church is a whore, but she's my mother. <laughs> the church is, you know, the, the church is a mixture. And one pastor in my neighborhood, he said it really well, too. He said uh, the church is kind of like Noah's Ark. 
He said, you think about it, it must have stunk inside that thing. It must have been a mess up inside that boat with all those animals. He said, church is kind of like that. It stinks inside sometimes, but if you jump ship, you're going to drown. And uh, and so I think that we need to try to do something about the stench. You know, we need to treat the church kind of like a dysfunctional parent. We need to love it back to life. We need to not let it get away with stuff. And there's some stuff out there. And we need to challenge bad theology and, 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 you know, like terrible uh, integrity, you know, of folks that are taking people's money and, yep. and abusing children. And I mean, all kinds yeah, and that, of stuff. Right? And that so shows anyway, love. I, that but, shows love for the church is to call it out. I love the right. church. Yeah. And, and, you know, just as Gandhi said, we want to be the change we want to see in the world. I think we, we need to be the change we want to see in the church. And discontentment is a gift to the church. If we see things that are wrong, like that's, part of why we 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 are an an asset to the church you know like my friend said why you know part of why we've moved into some struggling neighborhoods is we believe in resurrection we buy abandoned houses because we know they can come back to life and i think we need some of that same theology for the church itself you know um so anyway but i i think you know when when it comes to um you know ways that my my ideas have evolved um I I um I still actually have a very high view of scripture. I um um a lot of the traditional theological defining characteristics of evangelicalism I still really vibe with. I just don't like the other stuff, you know, the the uh, all that. But um so that's why you know we've started calling ourselves red letter Christians because we felt like people needed a new label yeah. and uh, it was actually wasn't a Christian. It was a, a country music DJ that was talking to a friend of mine that said I like the stuff in red. He said, there's some other stuff I find confusing, but I like, you said, you should call yourselves red letter Christians. And, um, you know, those Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red, it's not to say that the the rest of the Bible doesn't matter, but it's to say that Jesus is the lens through which we're interpreting this, that we're interpreting Paul through the lens of Jesus. We're interpreting the old Testament through the lens of Jesus as not the abolition, but the fulfillment of that, you know, and that's why, you know, my understanding on the death penalty is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the eye for an eye command. He said, you've heard it said this, but I'm telling you this, Moses told you this, but I tell you this. So, so I don't think he's contradiction, contradicting as much as fulfilling, um, the law of God. Um, and showing us what love, perfect love looks like, right? So um, that you know that that's helpful for me because it's it's a, a Christ-centered Christianity. And when Bible verses are used in ways that kind of uh, um, y- you know battle against each other, then Jesus is the referee. Yeah. You know, Jesus is kind of the litmus test on that. Um, and and when we don't center ourselves on Jesus, we end up focusing on things Jesus didn't focus on and forgetting things that Jesus never forgot. So, you know, if we if we take our eyes off Jesus, we talk about things he didn't talk about much and we don't talk about things he talked a whole lot about. So I think that's the the corrective that I would invite people, you know, to to, you know, reconsider a Christ centered Christianity, because even as people are leaving the church, um, uh, it's often because of how unlike Christ much right. of our Christianity becomes. Yeah. So we always say at Red Letter Christians, we want a Christianity that looks like Jesus again, that acts like Jesus again, loves like Jesus again. That's what we're after. Yeah. So we didn't get into all the fine tuning of, uh, you know, the afterlife and all that. And uh, But, um, uh, you know, we, we can do that next yeah. time, bro. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Is, is Can you be 
wealthy and be good stewards of your wealth and still follow Jesus in a radical way, like uh, you mapped out in your book back in 06, The Irresistible Revolution. Is there such thing as wealthy people that use their wealth for good and God's given them that money to be able to contribute in ways that regular folks like us can't? I take, I take a lot of my, um, my, uh, uh, sort of economic ideas from the early Christians, you know, which in the book of Acts, it says they shared everything they had. No one claimed any of their possessions were their own. Like they had this radical sharing that happened. Um, but they also, Basil the Great, you know, he said, if someone steals a person's clothes, we call them a thief. But shouldn't we give the same name to the Christian who has more than they need while someone else has less? And they literally had this idea that if we've got two coats in our closet, we've stolen one because there's people that are still cold on the street. Um, so, but, but it's also about relationship, right? That, that um, it's not just about a you know, impose charity on people or something, but it is about a, something that's provoked in us that to love our neighbor as ourself redefines what is enough. Um, and and that, that's a beautiful uh, part of our church history. St. Vincent de Paul, who the great charity is named after, he said, when I give food to the hungry, I get on my knees and I ask for forgiveness because I'm only returning what was stolen. So we get this idea that, you know, inequity is normal and charity becomes a virtue. But I think that's all kind of a, yeah. a distorted version of that. Now, there are things like John Wesley. You know, I grew up Methodist. He said, if I find money in my hands, I get rid of it as quick as I can before it corrupts my right. heart. Right. <laughs> you know, and he said, if I die with more than 10 pounds, you know, like 10 bucks, uh, let every person call me a liar and a thief because I've betrayed the gospel. I mean, they were, they, these guys are, and women were radical. Yeah. So I'm just attempting to take some cues, you know, from them. Um, but I, I, yeah, I don't see how we can have more than we need now. You know, Rick Warren, who's, you know, he's a friend. Uh, he wrote The Purpose Driven Life. And he says, sometimes you write a book and it sells a million copies. And he had a great answer. He said, so it's not always a sin to, to get rich. It's a sin to stay rich. It's a sin to die rich, right? Because if we sell a book, I mean, my book sold, not as many as his, my book sold like, you know, 300,000 copies. And we set up a fund to give that money away, you know? So I think we have to protect ourselves from that. And if we generate a lot of money, we give a lot of money away, but we should still be living off of, I, I think, a similar income. So, you know, here in our nonprofit, we end up... Uh, I have a living stipend that comes, you know, because everybody wants my family to be taken care of. But it's a, a very similar living stipend as everybody else in our neighborhood. And I think that's where we should also be asking if we're going to give money to a charity. Let's ask what the CEO's making before we give it. If your pastor is making more than your janitor, you know, like these are these are all I think, you know, they're, they're th things that should surface for us. If we're a community of brothers and sisters, then there shouldn't be great disparities between some of us and others. Yeah. 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 It's funny. There was a there was a guy years ago that asked me, hey, have you read this uh, Irresistible Revolution by Shane Claiborne? I was like, no, tell me about it. And he started telling me about it and everything. <laughs> and, and so he's definitely convicted. I think most people would feel that way and read it. And I was just like, well, what'd you think about it? He's like, I hated it. I didn't like it. Like, cause it made him feel super, super uncomfortable. It was, it was, it was pretty funny. That's actually the first time that I, that I heard about you. Great, 
that, that's that's that was your first book, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, and I, I, you know, it had been over ten years, so I just did a new version nice. where I, it was somebody else's idea to go back through and write kind of notes in the, you know, scrap notes in it to say, well, I said this ten years ago, yeah. I might say it like this, or this is how that story ended, or whatever. But this is the other thing, man. I, and maybe to close with is, I don't think that Jesus came to give us guilt. Yeah or shame. But Jesus himself said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. And I believe that we settle for a little short of that sometimes. And to me, this is not about shame or guilt. It's about finding life, you know? And and I think Mother Teresa, who, I mean, talk about somebody radical. She didn't even have hot water because she considered it a privilege. Gosh. And she, she thought she thought it desensitizes us to the suffering of others that don't even have water at all, much less in Calcutta, India, having hot water, yeah. right? So she wanted to live closer to those that were suffering. But it wasn't about guilt and shame, right? It was about solidarity. It was about love. And I think that's what's so important and why relationship is so central to this is sometimes it's not that we have a compassion problem. We have a proximity problem. And until we know those who are suffering from poverty, um, it's it's hard to really, I think, um, uh, love them if we don't know yeah. them. Uh, so that, you know, that that's a, um, but the more stuff we have, the more we have to maintain and hide behind. So I think um, having a, a, a way that we recognize that our possessions begin to possess us is a really beautiful way to live. And it's not only liberating for the poor, it's liberating for the rich too, who end up finding themselves possessed by their own possessions. Awesome, awesome. Shane, thanks so much. We'll put in the show notes how people can track you down on your website and and Twitter and all that. I definitely appreciate your time. You too, my brother. It's always a privilege. We'll do it again soon. All right. Take care.